A patient would come to a physiotherapist and would say, I've got an injury and, and it's really, really painful. And I would say that a physio is actually treating two phenomenon, right, or phenomena, uh, the tissue damage and the pain. Welcome back to the Clinical Athlete Podcast. If you're not familiar with Clinical Athlete, we're a network of healthcare providers, students, and coaches who specialize in the management of athletes. We have two missions. The first mission is to connect athletes with professionals who they can trust. And our second mission is to educate those professionals and future professionals in the realm of athlete health and performance. This podcast is one way that we fulfill those missions. And if you're one of our six listeners who enjoyed the show, do us a favor and give it a rating on your favorite podcast platform so that we can get this information out to as many people as possible. You can pause this right now. You can scroll down, click that five star, give us a nice review. Boom, duty fulfilled. To learn more about Clinical Athlete, head on over to the website, clinicalathlete.com. Join the free Kalu community Facebook group where the Clinical Athlete and the Level Up Initiative communities have combined to form an amazing group with several different types of learning opportunities. You can join the Kalu community Facebook group by clicking the link in the show notes. My name is Quinn Hennick. I'm a doctor of physical therapy in Orange County, California uh, at Clinical Athlete Newport. On this show, we are joined by co-hosts Jared Maynard and John Flagg. Jared is a clinical athlete provider and physiotherapist in Waterloo, Ontario, Canada, and he's an online powerlifting coach. John is a clinical athlete provider and a certified athletic trainer, online powerlifting, weightlifting, weightlifting and strongman coach, and the lead instructor of the clinical athlete powerlifting certification. This is another science to practice episode where we dig into the weeds of the research a little bit. We always try to bring it back to practicality, but these types of episodes can and will get technical. So if you're into the nitty gritty and digging deep into the sciencey stuff, this show is for you. With that said, on this episode, we are very excited to welcome our guest, Judd Kalkoven. Judd is a PhD candidate, lecturer, and researcher in exercise and sports science at the University of Technology, Sydney, with a primary focus in biomechanics. Judd has a wide variety of research interests, including tissue mechanics and function, mechanical stiffness, muscle architecture, uh, training load, and all things athletic injury. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about in this two-part series. Judd has an entire line of research that he's been coming out with and will continue to come out with, all in regards to modeling injury to help both researchers and clinicians make sense of this phenomenon. Like, what the heck even is an injury? And some pretty interesting conversation gets sparked from this. We use three of his papers as the framework for the discussion. It was fantastic. We hope you enjoy. Jared Kalkov, and thanks for being on the Clinical Athlete Podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me here. We are really excited. Um, Judd has been a part of lead author and or, or uh, at least a part of some really awesome work in the uh, injury and sports sports injury and, and uh, rehab field. And we actually talked about two of his papers on a clinical athlete journal club, I think maybe three or four weeks ago. And then he came out with uh, another of his papers was published in the same line of work. And it was just kind of a no brainer to have him on the show. Uh, so if we could start 
with you just give it a, a, an intro or a background about um, you know what you've the, the work that you've done in the field uh, in the past what's kind of led you to your current line of work now and yeah. you know the pinnacle of your career sitting before John Jared and I and our six listeners on the clinical athlete absolutely. podcast absolutely this is this is the highlight for sure um, all right I'll give a I'll give a little background of of my upbringing and and how I ended up in sports science. So I was born in South Africa. You can probably hear I have a little bit of a South African accent. Uh, I actually grew up a little bit in England though before moving back to South Africa. Uh, and then about 10 years ago, I moved to Australia, Sydney, uh, which is where I, where I am now. Um, so uh, I was always a, a really passionate uh, athlete. I, I played a multitude of sports, rugby, cricket, soccer, swimming, tennis, uh, all at a at a, pr- a pretty high level, uh, and then when I was I was seventeen, I had a a really bad ACL rupture that actually ended ended all my sport participation. So I was I was trying to pursue a career in rugby, uh, rugby union, uh, and unfortunately I, I just couldn't recover from this injury. So I was sort of at a at a crossroads after high school where I just loved sport. It was it was you know everything I wanted to do. Uh, but my family is is all in finance, so I sort of had to make a, a decision between going sports science, which is very much against sort of what my family wanted me to do uh, at the time, or, or go into finance. So obviously, I, I followed my passion, went into went into sports science. I did my undergrad at the University of Technology, Sydney. I went on to do an honours, so I did my honours in mechanical stiffness uh, and athletic performance, uh, and then that took me essentially to a, uh, into a PhD where uh, sort of my, my knowledge in, in, in stiffness uh, took me into really diving into, into tissue mechanics and, and tissue engineering. Uh, so I gained, a, I guess, sort of my, my area of expertise is really uh, muscle function, muscle tendon function, uh, tissue mechanics and whatnot. Um, and then, and then going into into muscle architecture, which is where a lot of my applied research for my PhD is is actually in. Um, from there, so Franco came to UTS, and we were having discussions on on injury, and he and he brought up with me a, a lot of the issues going on with with training load and and some things he was concerned about, and he and he started picking my brain in terms of of injury mechanisms and and how tissues actually rupture and how this relates to, to training load. Um, so from that, I, uh, I basically transitioned a little bit to where I'm, I'm still writing papers and, and muscle mechanics and, and, you know, intersarcomere dynamics and, and things like that. Uh, but I've recently transitioned a lot of my, my recent publications, uh, not that I have that many right now, but, uh, it's mostly to do a training load. Uh, and that sort of brings me to now. So I, I submitted my my PhD thesis about a month and a half ago. So that's busy being marked. Uh, and then I'm a, I'm a lecturer in, in biomechanics at UTS as well. So I will hopefully, I've got a bit of a, a visa scenario going on here. I'll hopefully be able to run biomechanics at UTS this year. And I did it back in 2019 as well. Um, yep. So... We're going to dig right in because that background is a great segue, obviously, to the work that you're doing now, which is uh, attempting to model, to provide models and frameworks 
that uh, for injury that we can use both clinically and in research. And obviously those two things can work together in the future, but you're trying to model something that's, that's difficult to model. So my, my first question to you, I guess, is what gaps were you seeing, not in the, only in the literature, but also in applying the literature to practice when it came to uh, modeling injury, uh, causation, these types of things that kind of led you on this uh, current research track. Yep. All right. Um, so I'll give a, I'll give a little bit of background how the framework really came about and how that evolved into into the training load paper. So with discussions with Franco, I, I remember we were, we were in a gym and I was explaining to him about how muscles rupture and under under high tensions when they're very stiff, if they experience strain, that's that's when they're particularly vulnerable. Um, and he was saying to me, Judd, like your knowledge is is great. You have to put a, a conceptual framework together. You know, one one doesn't exist. So I said, okay, give me give me a day and let me do a draft and let me let me see what I can produce for you. So got a day, gave it to him the next day and said, you know, what do you think? And he and he took a look and you know immediately I could tell he was like, shit, I think I think this is really good. I think we can build on this. And obviously, obviously it wasn't. It wasn't perfect. Like the, the paper went through numerous drafts from, from then onward, but I think he saw it for the first time and was like, that's a, I think, I think we can do a, a really great paper from this. So that's sort of how the, the framework came, came about. Um, and Franco really emphasized the importance. So this is Franco and Pelizzeri I'm talking about if, if anyone yeah, wasn't quite sure, but Franco was emphasizing to me the importance of this framework because in applied sports science, a lot of the research and the causal inferences were being done without any actual causal conceptual framework underpinning the research that was, that was being completed. And what happened was I was, I was sitting in a, in a presentation of, of Franco's later after I'd started working on the framework and he was talking about the acute to chronic workload ratio. He was talking about, the mathematical issues with using a ratio and, and some of the problems that this induce. And the whole time I was thinking, like, this is interesting, but what, what is the input data into this, into this ratio? And I asked him and he said, well, you can use anything. You can use GPS, you can use RPE. And for me, immediately massive alarm bells went off in my head where I was like, this. Yeah, I, I actually don't think. Actually, I know this isn't viable for for assessing injury risk from a from a causal perspective, um, which is how I ended up then producing the the training load the training load paper off the back of that, where it was really a, a targeted paper on training load using the causal mechanisms of tissue damage um, that we know to see just how do our metrics actually relate to this causal pathway? And is it viable to use any of these metrics to make the decisions that, that people are currently using them for? Um, so that's, that's sort of how I, how I got on to, to these papers. Uh, so the, that was the question. What was the full question again? No, that was it. Yeah, that and was that was it. And to set up a, uh, a framework now, because we're, we're talking about modeling injury. So can you, go into your definition of injury that you're using to build the model so that we can, we can talk about the, the framework uh, that you've put together with the caveat of 
um, pain is going to confound the conversation and we can, you can define injury, how you define it for the framework. Maybe discuss it at the end. We can come back to the topic of pain because I think that deserves its, its kind of own segment here as well. Okay. Um, so, so in the scientific literature regarding tissue mechanics, right, injury is, is really just a, a tissue damage phenomenon. Pain is, you know, we consider pain as a, as a symptom of the injury. So whenever we produce these models, the causal pathways to the injury is the causal pathways to tissue damage. And then the pain occurs after, after the injury. So that's why if you ever read either of these papers, um, pain isn't isn't part of it so even though in in of course in the applied world it has a has a very big role um i guess in the in this academic literature looking at tissue mechanics and, and damage and, and injury um it is sort of is is excluded from from a lot of this this research so yeah it's a it's a it's a tissue damage phenomenon for me okay i think we'll bookmark because again i think the, the pain discussion is is something that can should be had and and will be had, but let's bookmark that and say, okay, based on that definition of injury, then how are we how are we modeling these these types of injuries? What types of injuries are you including in your in your framework? And kind of the this stepping us through or walking us through the framework as you as you've built it out. Okay, um, so I'd say there's it's it's hard to just put them all into, into just a simple classification, but I'll, I'll say there's three main classifications that, that I would use, right? So one is a, a gradual onset or, or overuse injury, right? Where you get repetitive mechanical loads that fatigue and, and damage the tissue over time. So these are, of course, your, yeah, your standard overuse, tendinopathies, uh, stress fractures in the, in the tibia from running, uh, those sorts of injuries. Uh, you get a, a traumatic event, which is a one-off mechanical load that overloads the mechanical strength of a tissue and causes that to rupture. So an example of that would be you're playing soccer, someone runs in and slide tackles and breaks your shin, right? That's a traumatic injury. Uh, and then the, the last one's sort of like a blend uh, of the two, um, whereby you get a gradual fatiguing of a tissue or, or you could say a gradual onset injury which is a, a pathology and this then is relevant to the causal pathway of a, of a traumatic event later so an example would be let's say you develop stress fractures in your shins and one day you land from a certain height and because the bones weakened now you get a traumatic injury right and it's really a, a classification that i got from from the recent ioc um study or, or consensus paper that they, I think it came out last year um, where they classified it this way. And I actually think it's a quite a useful way to classify it in terms of distinguishing between the, between the three mechanisms uh, in terms of the framework, it, it actually talks about all three, right? So all three are dependent on mechanical loads. That's the fundamental contributor to a, to a tissue damage injury event is the application of force to the tissue that overloads the tissue. Um, so that, it actually outlines all this and then when necessary sort of forks into the, uh, the three different classifications that you see. Why is it important to have a, a, a framework like that? So if we criticize something like an acute chronic workload ratio or any concept that's attempting to take 
uh, maybe put the cart before the horse, so to speak, um, yeah. attempting to take data uh, that's potentially retrospective that, um, and, and plug it into a, a model or a narrative that hasn't already been established. Why is it important to have this type of initial framework to model something like injury? Yeah, it's a, it's a very good question, right? I'll, I'll put it bluntly to lead up that applied research conducted on incorrect conceptual foundations is really not useful research, right? Um, because it's, it's missing the actual phenomenon and, and the causal phenomenon that, that we're looking at. Um, and, and unfortunately, this, this has happened quite a lot in, in sports science, which is why we, why we developed the framework, right? Um, in terms of diving particularly deep, I think this is a, quite a deep question, actually, and I can answer it in, in quite a lot of detail, is that in sports science, we have a big issue with the research that, that we do. And the, and the issue is that we struggle to achieve sample sizes that give us enough statistical power to, to run, you know, really great studies regarding injury. So what this has done is it's resulted in us being heavily reliant on descriptive research, right? Uh, but descriptive research is an absolute minefield for causal inferences, especially in the absence of a causal framework. Uh, and I'll give you, I'll give you some examples of, of how this is the case. So, if I've got a, uh, a simple study describing the risk of, of hamstring injury in, in various athletes, right? Let's say I've got a, a highly explosive athlete and I've got an athlete that is nowhere near as athletic, right? In terms of the risk for tearing their hamstring, that superior athlete could actually have the higher risk, but could have superior tissue characteristics by all means, right? And the reason being that this risk can be higher is that because they are so explosive, they, they expose themselves to extremely high forces, extremely high mechanical loads, right? So if you do a descriptive study and you're assessing tissue characteristics, all these tissue characteristics that are actually protective to athletes, right, that the, that the explosive athlete will likely have because he is uh, exposed to mechanical loads and, and would adapt to be resistant to that, right? now gets implicated with a heightened injury risk. So what is your causal inference from a study like that? This is where it's very dangerous to make causal inferences from studies like this because it would be very easy to recommend that athletes should reduce various tissue characteristics that are actually protective to the athlete, not understanding that it's the confounding mechanical loads that, that increases, right? So what a, what a causal framework does is it allows you to make causal inferences from descriptive research far more effectively, right? So essentially you map out the causal pathway. So when you see various associations presenting, you can determine whether these associations are causal um, or not causal. Um, and you can, you can essentially map out or, or make causal inferences from, from descriptive research. So it, it removes a lot of the challenges that we currently face in sports science regarding our, our scientific methods that we use. How do, how do you validate any model? Because I'm, I'm interested in uh, this type of thing. And it, you've, you've created a model, you've created a framework. It's, it's literally in the paper. 
Um, it's, it's a figure, it's, it's, it's several diagrams um, kind of walking you through the, the causal pathway or, or the injury pathway or, or the model in general. But, but let's take that example then where you have now descriptive uh, data and now you can plug it into your model. What are the assumptions that go along with that though? Are the assumptions that the model is correct? Number one, is there, are you testing the model in a way that's more than just, well, I made it and I think it's closer to the truth. So, okay. I, yeah. so, so rather than, it's not so much a, a computational model, but it's a, it's a conceptual model, right? So the difference with this, this framework is that it's not a theoretical framework. It's a conceptual framework in the sense that all the links that are provided are supported by evidence already, right? So every, yeah, every link that, that exists in this framework, I've actually provided scientific literature supporting these links. Now, unfortunately, in, in the printed version, you're, you're limited to the amount of references you had. I think I only had 60. I was only allowed around about 60. But in the pre-printed version, I had like 180, right? So, so all these links, opposed to me just making up assumptions in my head, have very strong rationales from a tissue mechanics uh, perspective, right? And if you want to think about, I guess, I guess the main assumption is that injury is caused by stress and strain, right? And I think the way that you can rationalize this quite well is reverse engineer the problem, right? You know that a tissue is made up of molecules, right? So how do you get those molecules to separate and break those intermolecular bonds? Well, you have to apply a force, right? And that's what breaks those bonds, which is stress and strain. And that's really the, the fundamentals of, of all engineering. And, it's, and there's no evidence saying that these bonds are, are damaged by, by other processes or, or during, during these injury events per se. It's, it's really the mechanical stimulus that provides the, the initial stimulus. And yes, this can facilitate physiological processes that, that happen off the back of this. That's, that's really the main, the main assumption, but I think that assumption is, is very strongly supported across you know, all the tissue engineering literature that, that exists. Hey guys, Quinn Hennick here. Consider this a little brain break from our great conversation with Jed about modeling injuries. Your brain is probably spinning right now with all this info. It would be so awesome to have a community to talk about it with. Oh wait, that exists. So if you're not, if you haven't already... Uh, go to the link in the show notes and join the Kalu Community Facebook group. Read the pinned announcement. Introduce yourself. Read the resources that we've compiled for you with Kalu approved podcasts and must read papers. And now back to the show. I'm going to go ahead and open up the pain uh, rabbit hole because I, I think it'll help us move forward, and, and I want to get the other guys' thoughts on this as well. <sighs> So let's take tendinopathy, for example, because I think it, it, it'll at least just kind of fit this well. Um, or we can go more extreme and we'll, we'll say uh, somebody who's fallen from a, a three-story building and, and got lucky because they only snapped their leg in two, but everything else was intact. Um, but compound fracture, they're kind of in shock. They don't know what happened. All they know, they fell. They're just laying on the ground. Uh, nothing hurts because they're just glad to be alive, but then they look down at their leg and it's snapped in two and then, oh man, my leg hurts. Or it doesn't even hurt until they get to the hospital and, and kind of the, the shock wears down in these times. So point there being, um, 
we either talked about this before or after we started recording, but in that example, we're defining injury by the, the obvious abnormality in the tissue that happened in an instant. Yep. Um, the, the pain is subsequent to that, uh, but we would also agree that sometimes the pain experience doesn't happen in concordance with the actual injury. Would you also posit to say that sometimes the pain experience can be felt without subsequent tissue damage? Not in that example, but just in general, pain experience can be had without detectable okay. injury. I'll, I'll, I'll make your question more general. Is that where does pain fit in my view of, of injury, right? Where, where does it fit, right? To answer your, your, I guess your question more directly, a pa pain in the complete absence of tissue injury Right, and this includes uh, damage to um, the nerves or whatever. Right, if there's no tissue damage whatsoever, I would strongly argue that you do not have an athletic injury. You have some medical condition, some strange phenomenon whereby you're experiencing pain. Maybe it's a some psychological or yeah, physiological, psychophysiological phenomenon where you're experiencing pain. And there's absolutely nothing structurally or, or functionally wrong with your with your tissues, right? So I, I don't think I would classify that as an athletic injury, right? Um, now, in terms of where pain pain fits here, so I, I've got an example that that I like to use to try explain explain this here. So for me, sorry, do you have a before you get there? Yeah. So let's say somebody is doing, um, they started doing like a plyometric uh, program. They hadn't really done jumps before, or they haven't really trained uh, in a certain way in the past. Maybe it's heavy lifting or something like that. They start to experience some anterior tendon knee pain uh, upon jumping, landing, using the stretch shortening cycle, that type of thing. Yeah. Usually we wouldn't jump to things like diagnostic ultrasound or MRI on the onset of pain, but let's just say that we did. And they've only been experiencing the symptoms for a couple weeks. And so there's no, in this case, there's no pathology. Maybe there's some like increased signal because it may be some swelling there, but there's no pathology in the tissue. However, the, if we trace back the steps, we're pretty sure the mechanism was the increased mechanical load that they put upon your body. Would you, in that sense, not also not classify that as a, a, a training injury? Okay. That's so... Let me, I'll, I'll, I'll get back to this question. I want to give the background knowledge and then I'll, okay. I'll talk because that's a bit of a like unique scenario sort of thing, right? But I'll, I'll, I'll tackle that. So as I mentioned earlier, injury for me is, is purely the tissue damage phenomenon that occurs. And the reason I say it excludes pain is because I can think of examples whereby there's no pain, but we'd still, I'm sure most people would agree with me, that there's still an injury present. So I, I, get, I mentioned this to you before, but the examples I like to give is, first one, if someone is incapable of feeling pain, so let's say for whatever reason, I don't know, they have no nerves or whatever, right? And someone comes along and, and breaks both their legs and, and this guy's lying on the ground with his legs shattered. He's still injured, even though there's no pain being experienced, right? And I think most people would agree that he is injured, right? His, his legs are broken. So, so by definition, to me, that's an injury where pain is not even in the picture. So pain cannot actually be in, in the actual definition of, of injury, right? 
another example is if someone can feel pain and, and someone breaks their legs, right, and you anesthetize them and they don't feel any pain anymore, they're still injured. You didn't, you didn't remove the injury because they don't feel pain. They, they're still injured, right? So from that perspective, that's why, very much why in the research literature, the biomechanical research literature, it is the tissue damage and, and pain is a symptom of the injury. Now, in the applied world, right, I understand that different definitions work much better depending on what you're trying to achieve, right? So because assessing tissue damage in, in the real world is very difficult, you've got very expensive equipment that has limitations. And as you said, there's, there's damage that you might not actually be able to measure. You might not be able to pick up on, on, these, on these scanning that, that's available, right? So what we do is we, we use pain as a proxy of an injury, right? So it's a symptom of the injury. And what happens is a, a patient would come to a physiotherapist and will say, I've got an injury and, and it's really, really painful. And I would say that a physio is actually treating two phenomenon, right? Or phenomena, uh, the tissue damage and the pain, right? And of course, pain and tissue damage is related. But as you mentioned, you can have tissue damage without pain, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a good proxy to use in the real world that is free of cost. The, the, the patient can just, just tell you. It's very important to the patient and you can use it to guide your rehabilitation. So of course, as you rehab an, uh, rehab an individual, as their pain reduces and their functionality recovers, that's a pretty good indicator that, that the tissues are starting to recover, right? Um, I just think it, it is important to distinguish between the two, though, because this is a use case of including pain in a phenomenon that works in a specific context. So it's, it's like fitting a definition to, to fit the the business model, the context of, of a physiotherapist. And it, it's not the scientific definition that, that we would use in the academic literature for the, for the reasons that I mentioned. And the reason I think this is important is just that when you see frameworks and models that don't include pain, it's because it's, it's considered a, a symptom and, and a proxy of, of tissue damage rather than an actual injury. Well, would you also say, you know, we kind of already discussed situations where pain is not present or is present with with or without tissue damage in your particular case from a scientific standpoint you want to deal with it as objective data as possible and uh, i said out loud pain is probably an unreliable subjective experience that is going to confound pretty much everything you try to do when you study stuff so when you want to go and go from just that, that bare bones, objective, scientific, this is tissue damage, eliminating a confounding variable is going to make your life easier. Absolutely. And I think people know this, though. I see this talked about quite a lot amongst physios. Pain is a very unreliable proxy of tissue damage as well. The fact is we, we use it in the applied setting because it's the best that, that we have, right? especially when there's no scanning technologies and, it, and it's very important to patients, right? Anyone experiencing pain, that's, that's probably the most important thing to them is they don't want to feel pain anymore. It's, it's their biggest goal coming in. Yeah. Yeah, abs absolutely. So I understand, 
I understand why it has such a prominent um, yeah, role in, in, the, in athletic trainers and, and physiotherapists, but I think it is important to also be aware that, that it's a, a proxy and it's, and it's a symptom and that when you read academic literature, you're probably not going to find pain and, and it's good to understand why. Um, Jed, let me. So I give I give these examples mostly not to be pedantic, but <laughs> to try to help myself conceptualize our, our working definitions and conceptualize the model and these types of things and where certain things fit. So the um, the pain is a proxy, but not a hundred percent reliable. I think we can all get on board with the broken leg example. I think is a nice one to start with because if you don't experience the pain, but you still have your leg snapped into your function is going to be decreased. You're not going to be able to walk on the leg. So calling it an injury in the absence of pain in that sense makes a lot of sense to me because it's an injury because you can't use that thing anymore. If you know, if your Achilles snaps and for some reason it doesn't hurt, but you, you're, you don't have that force transfer because you don't have a tendon anymore. So you've lost use of that limb from a biomechanical standpoint, but tendinopathy, if we just look at, let's say a specialized population like volleyball players or basketball players, the base rate of tendinopathic changes is like two thirds and not all of them are going to experience symptoms. Now having tendinopathic changes does increase your risk of symptoms down the line, but not always, of course. So let's say we have a cohort of basketball or volleyball players who have tendinopathic changes who will go on to never experience symptoms. Are they still injured? Okay, this is, I'm gonna take the discussion to a, another level, right? Oh, I'm not ready for that. Oh, this is the level that I, okay. No, we we're here. Tissue, tissue <laughs> specific definitions of injury, right? And I'll give yeah. you an example of from muscle because I think it outlines it pretty, pretty well. So in the muscle mechanics literature, right? Muscle damage forever was considered muscle injury, right? And only recently, did McHugh, which I'm so glad he did this, wrote a paper saying that muscle damage and muscle injury are different phenomena, right? And of course, muscle damage was labeled an injury because it impaired muscle function. And that was just the threshold. If it impairs the function, it's an injury, right? It, it only impairs function because of the pain though, right? Like we're talking about- No, so no. Okay, force, of, force production as well. No, 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 no. So you actually get sarcomere disillusion where you can't produce active tensions in the muscle anymore, right? So that the actual muscle does get damaged. But, but this sarcomere disillusion, this muscle damage is a stimulus or, or appears to be a, a major stimulus for adaptation. So that should not be labeled an injury because, you know, it's going to lead to positive muscle growth and adaptation. So what, what McHugh said, and I, I completely agree with, is that uh, muscle damage, right, refers to sarcomere disillusion. A muscle injury is a rupture in the fiber. So the actual structure of the fiber gets ruptured, which will lead to chronic function loss and, and, and not positive adaptation. So that's distinguishing within a specific tissue, the specific structures, damage to which structures uh, actually constitutes an injury. So it's actually a, it's a very complex topic. Um, in terms of what, what is damage, it's like in, um, let's say, stress fractures in the shin, right? Is it a certain threshold of cumulative damage that, and it could be an arbitrary threshold that where you consider it an injury? And I, the answer is, I don't know. Maybe it's the onset of the first micro crack, 
right? And that's considered an injury. So, well, at what point is it is it considered an injury? And I think this is where you we really need uh, specialists in specific tissues to try and find a, a clearer definition of 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 injury within within those specific tissues. I'm so, really sorry. I'm really glad I held off on that question because I was going to ask it early in the discussion about like, so what's your threshold for injury? Is it this or this? And now I, I the thing I like about this is we're, we still can say, I, I'm not entirely sure. Where is that point? Is it a function loss rate? Is it actual physical, physiological change? I, I don't know yet. Yeah. I love the idea of, of actually getting specialists in on that. Yeah. To, to really dive into those sorts of topics. Yeah, I, I would like I would like specialists in in various tissues to try and and determine thresholds that are considered an, an injury. That's where I would like to see see this go. The thing is, even in applied sporting research, right, injuries are defined in all sorts of ways. But I still consider these to be working definitions to fit whatever study and whatever you're trying to show. So, an injury sometimes in sports is like matches missed or like training days missed or whatever right and that's just a working definition to to show something that's relevant to to athletes um within the applied context because of course you can't analyze the tissue damage at like the microscopic it's just not viable so we need these working working definitions like i'm not i'm, I'm not criticizing the working definitions they, they need it we have to have them well, um, let's move past the working definitions and, and go back to the tendinopathy example and say, like, we, we are taking these asymptomatic basketball players and we could get we could take the worst of the worst as far as your uh, kink bands, collagen kink bands all over the place, hypo regions, you know, with me as a no, I have no imaging experience. I can identify that on MRI like, good God, look at that, look at that black hole in your in your tendon, these types of things. Um, hypervascularization, uh, um, nerve, uh, you know, growth within the tendon that is just classic tendinopathy. So we have this cohort, but this is going to be the cohort that end up just not having symptoms. Maybe they lucked out, but it's classic signs. At, or is, is there a demarcation line where we're still going to consider for the sake of the framework, we're going to consider them injured, but that doesn't necessarily mean then injury even for this specific cohort can relate to decreased function or pain down the line. This, so this is where the, the threshold is considering that in these athletes, they aren't getting a positive adaptation from the pathology or, or damage that's, that's arrived. And, and it's probably going to lead to further degeneration potentially. I, I would tentatively say that it could be considered an injury, but I'm, I, this is a, this, one here is definitely a, a gray area. So I'm, I'm, I don't even want to roast me about this. I'm, I need to think about it really. It's a, it's a, this one is, is, is quite, quite difficult. Um, what I would say is that if the ultimate strength of the tendon is severely impacted by the pathology, and I don't know what the threshold is as of what severely deteriorated is in terms of the ultimate strength, though, that would be a high concern as a pathology because that is the i mean that's descriptive of the total amount of stress that that tendon can tolerate so let's say because of the pathology that ultimate strength has decreased by 30 percent that is concerning 
right? Maybe it doesn't, maybe they might not actually get injured, but, but it's still concerning to me that, that the ultimate strength of, of the tendons would have deteriorated. So. And I'm not I'm trying just, to rush you either. These are literally questions that I've had burning in my brain and, and you created a model to help us uh, answer them. So this is why I'm excited to talk about it. Sorry, he just John, wanted you to hear, he just wanted you to, to say there's a gray area. That's all. He's just waiting for like, oh, please tell me. I'm just swimming in the gray. I, I'm embracing the gray. Um, uh, so the other confounding thing with, with that example as well is that we can't, at least that we know of, once these changes occur, there's no reversal. Well, I'm talking tendon very specifically here. It's, yeah. it's the old Jill Cook, uh, treat the donut, not the whole. And that may be just be because we're just now being able to measure and, and uh, look at them the micro level of the, of the tendon. So maybe there is reverse and we just haven't actually seen it. But what you brought up there is maybe the parallel to the broken leg example, where it's easy to say the broken leg is an injury in the absence of pain because you can't walk on it. Maybe we just haven't measured the decrease in, uh, in function of that tissue. Maybe it's a stiffness thing. Maybe you've lost some, some elasticity, some rebound, um, some resiliency. We just it will, it will be all of it. It will be all the right. factors that contribute to the functioning and strength of that tendon, right? And that includes everything. It includes the collagen matrix, the stiffness, the arrangement of the fibers. All of these work in a complex system to produce the function and, and strength, right? But but you're you're right. It, it is a little bit of a gray area. I mean, the thing is, I would say that these athletes still have a pathology, even if it if it doesn't recover, they still have a pathology. Um, which is concerning. I, I would be inclined to say it's an injury. It's just not a serious injury. Um, because of, uh, the reason I say that is because it's not going to lead to positive adaptation. It's, it's negative. It's a net negative gotcha. always. Right. And that, that's why I would say it is an injury. It's deteriorating the tissue. Right. And there's no positive adaptation to come from this. So that's, that's what I would say. Awesome. Um, where can people connect with you? Uh, Twitter. I, I got Twitter. Uh, my email. So just judd.calcoven uh, at uts.edu.au. Please feel free to send me an email. Um, it's probably, probably the two easiest ways uh, if you want to connect with me. Awesome. John, where can people connect with you? John.RebuildStronger on Instagram. It's pretty much the place I'm the most active. Um, if you do want to email me, it's John at Clinical Athlete. Judd, that was awesome, dude. I, I got to say, like, I'm with Jared. We've, we've talked to Franco a couple times. I've messaged Franco. Every time I message him, my brain melts just a little bit more. Um, I'm a big eater, and you've given me a lot to chew on tonight. This is a really, really good information here. Yeah, I hope it wasn't exhausting. I know I can I can talk a lot and it's quite technical, a lot of the stuff. So I'm, I'm glad you guys seem to enjoy it. Uh, I hope the viewers did too. I think so. If we lose a viewer, we're down to five. We'll pick up one <laughs> along the way. It's not a big deal. Jared, where can people connect with you? Yeah, Instagram is probably the easiest. Jared.UnbreakableStrength. Um, and then Jared at clinicalathlete.com. And just to finally echo it, yeah, Judd, no, definitely wasn't too much. This is awesome. And as we went through that conversation, I was just reflecting on how, <clears throat> how, how bene beneficial even seems like the wrong word, but um, how I've really enjoyed being able to look at or to try to look at 
these topics through the lens that that you're looking at them. Um, I can only see that being a beneficial thing for me personally as a clinician, as a coach, and just person in general. Plus, I think it's it's the way forward for us collectively working with different populations, but working with people to try to serve them better. Um, and it seems like our listeners tend to dig that too. At the very least, it'll be a really good discussion. So thanks, man. This is awesome. Yeah, no, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's uh, It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Second, third, and fourth on, on my end. This was an awesome conversation. I'll have to get you back on when you start yeah. pumping out more work and when, when uh, Franco finally lets you drop the other, some of the other <laughs> conceptual stuff, he just, he's, what was he doing protecting you from the Twitter, giving you a Twitter shield by yeah, putting out some applied work? Protecting me because of, he doesn't want me to be too embarrassed where I have all this conceptual work and not much applied work. And then I'm, I'm, that might open me up to criticism or, or something. So yeah, he is. He is trying to look after me. I, I understand why. I understand why. So he knows how to yeah. play the game. Yeah, he does. He does. He's a he's a great dude. <laughs> well, we look forward to it. Thanks again for being on, John Jarrett. Thanks again, as always, uh, for uh, steering the ship alongside me, as they say. And we'll see you guys next time. One last thank you to Judd Kalkoven for the great information and conversation. You can check out the show notes for ways to connect with Judd and follow his work. And remember, this is only part one of a two-part interview. And of course, thank you to my homies, Jared Maynard and John Flagg, for steering this ship alongside me. And thank you, the clinical athlete community, all six of you, for joining us on this journey of knowledge and improved practice in both the gym and clinic. And one more time, go to the link in the show notes, join the Kalu Community Facebook group, read the pin announcement, introduce yourself, read the resources that we've compiled for you with the Kalu Mission and Kalu Approved Podcasts and Must Read Papers. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you soon.